open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 22. That'll be on page 561 on the Bible in front of you. If you want to know what it's like to preach the gospel every week, it's, it's like this. When you really understand what you're trying to do, it's as if someone told you to take a rope and to try to lasso the sun and bring it close to show everyone what it's like. That's absurd. But that's what preaching is. We have the king of glory who is telling sinners who have been ordained to do this work to say, show people who I am, but he's the infinite one. We have finite words. This, this is far greater than any of us could ever imagine. The best we can do is just show you the tip of the tip of the iceberg of who Jesus really is. And that's what makes us amazing. Is that God's word is always greater than we can imagine. And as J.R. prayed earlier, he prayed spot on that Christ would preach a better sermon through me than I could preach to you. Here in this text in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we, we see a Christ who is absolutely stunning. Starting in verse 18 all the way through 22. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you have... Come near to us in your word. We are trying to, by faith, by the power of the Spirit, to behold the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you that you delight to show us your Son. You delight to show us all the benefits that we have in him. Father, we thank you that you've given us this avenue that you have been using for thousands of years so that we might worship you as we hear from you as you declare your gospel of grace. So Holy Spirit, enable us. Do what only you can do. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Every year, I think it's still on ESPN, but every year there is the uh, hot dog eating contest and one of the, the legends in the game of eating hot dogs is a guy named Joey Chestnut. And if you've ever watched it, one of the things that they do, there's, there's always a hype man, and he's announcing who's coming up to the stage, and he'll present their resume. And he'll say, Joey Chestnut, he won this challenge, and this challenge, and this challenge, and this challenge. And you're thinking, I didn't even know that could be a food challenge. The dude's done everything. And as you hear it, it's this long introduction, and by the time he begins, you say, man, what hasn't this guy done? Well, when we take an honest evaluation of who Christ is 
and all that he's done and how all the Old Testament leads up to him and all the New Testament is just a reflection on him, we would come away with the same rhetorical question. What has he not done? Amen? I'm going to start out quick this morning. What has he not done? Who, who in the world is like him? What, what benefits for his people has he not achieved? Were we to count Were we to try to count all the benefits that we have in Christ, it would be like trying to count every grain of dust in the Milky Way. We don't realize half of what we have in him. And if there's one goal of this text and the goal of the sermon, it's this. Don't you see what all you have in him? And that's why you embrace him by faith. Don't abandon him. Don't don't go anywhere else but run to him. Because here, in this text, we see five benefits of Christianity that you simply cannot live without. Benefit number one, God secures his promises. Look at verses 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, he was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. God secures all of his promises for his people. That's the first benefit of the gospel here. And Christ is the one who fulfills the promises of God. I love actually in verse 20, if we were to translate this over literally from the Greek, it would read like this. For as many as the promises of God, in him the yes. We talked about that last week. In other words, no matter what promises you come across in the Old Testament, they are all yes in him and no one else. That means that Jesus Christ is the main character of the Old Testament. We don't believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament are different books about a different God, about a different people. It is one book about one God saving one people for his glory. Amen? Jesus himself says in Luke 24, after his resurrection, he says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things as mentioned in the Old Testament and enter into his glory? And then it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Charles Spurgeon used to say that anywhere you go in England, there's always a road to London. My friends, anywhere you go in scripture, there is a road to Christ. It is not just Christ in the New Testament. It is Christ in the Old. Matter of fact, I used to have a professor say, the New Testament is the Old Testament answer key. You cannot understand the New Testament unless you also go back to the Old. Christ in the Old Testament was promised, and in the New Testament it is fully revealed. It's all about Him. He is the one who has secured God's promises. Now when we think about promises, we have to remember this. God makes promises in covenant relationship. So one of the things we believe in this church, we believe what's called covenant theology. Well, what is that word covenant? A covenant is a conditional promise. I make a promise to you saying, I will do this if you do this. 
It's what God does with his people. One person says, God promises blessings if the conditions are kept, and he threatens curses if the conditions are broken. In the very beginning, God made Adam, even before he made Eve, God made a covenant, what was called a covenant of works with Adam. Adam, who was all of our representative, because all humanity comes from this one man. In a literal historical Adam, God made a covenant with him saying, if you will obey me perfectly, I will bless you beyond anything you can imagine. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Adam was a great person, wasn't he? I mean, he talked about a guy who had a great track record. It didn't take long until he failed. And because Adam failed representing all of us, he plunged not just himself, but he plunged us into God's covenant curses. Well, how in the world are we going to get promises? What had to happen is what Paul says in Romans 5, that another Adam, another representative of us must come. Romans 5, 19 says, For as, as by one man's disobedience, talking about the first Adam, the many were made sinners... Then Paul says this, so by the one man's obedience, talking about Jesus, who is another Adam, another representative, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What does this mean? Every one of us in here are represented by one person, the first Adam or the second. The first Adam, who was the first man or the first person ever created. And you're, when you're represented by him, because of his sin and because of God's curse, we are plunged into our own sin and death and misery. But then there is a second Adam who was righteous, perfect. And he magnificently glorified God. And as we trust in him, we get life and righteousness and peace. Amen? And when you get this second Adam, you get all the promises of God because he earned them for us. That's amazing. Christ, our true representative, he's the one who fulfills the promises of God for us. And that's why Paul says here in 2 Corinthians that in him is the yes. So my friends, let me ask you hopefully a rhetorical question. Do you want the promises of God? Do you want the promises of God? Yes. How do you get them? You got to get Jesus. When you get Jesus, you get the promises. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have any of the promises. Matter of fact, you have the curses. But if you get Jesus, then it's like this. The Puritan William Spurstow said, the promises of God are like God bringing to us a massive bag of gold coins. And he just empties them out at your feet and he says, take whatever you want. These are all yours in Christ. My friends, you have a bag full of gold promises in all the scriptures. And God is giving them to you freely and he is saying, these belong to you because you have Jesus. That is amazing, right? Are we awake? 
right? I know I'm starting out quick. One person says, the being of God may as well sooner fail than the promises of God. My friends, a massive benefit of the gospel is that when you get Jesus, you get all the promises of God. And that speaks to two different types of people. It speaks to unbelievers who are indulging in sin. Some of you are not a believer, and you're, you love your, the sins that you have and the sinful lifestyle you're living in. And maybe you say something like, I'm living this way because I've been burned by the church. I can't do that whole Christianity thing. They're full of hypocrites. Well, first off, you've judged us rightly. That we are. Or maybe you're indulging in your sin because of a certain addiction that has been taking over your life. Or maybe you're just living in sin because you say, well, why should I stop? I'm getting all the joy and happiness I want in this. The problem is that you don't realize that the promises that sin makes will never come true. The promises that sin makes of happiness or security or respect or whatever they might be, it's not just that they will never come true, it's that they will be counterproductive to you. Only Christ is the one who fulfills his promises. Sin, like Satan, loves to mimic and mock God, saying, I can give you the same thing, but if you come over here. But it's kind of like one of those baking shows whenever people make these elaborate-looking cakes, but they look like burgers and pizzas and whatever else. And all you get when you eat it, when you bite into it, is just a bunch of sugar and cake. And sooner or later, by God's mercy, sooner or later, he will show you all sin is doing is just giving me more hurt and pain and death. Some of you might already be seeing your sinful lifestyle, how it's been, how it's been killing relationships. Maybe it's caused all this emotional havoc in your life. You see the spiritual death that's happening, and sin always leads to physical death. Death is not normal. Death is a result of sin. But the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Amen? There also, it speaks also to a group of unbelievers who are despairing. Maybe particularly despairing over their sin. You look at your life and you say, I, I understand. I have, my, my sin has burned me. My sins are often too many. This time, surely I've gone too far, or I've done too much, or I've committed unforgivable sins. If people in this room right now have realized what I've done, then they would never want anything to do with me. I have no hope of restoration or forgiveness or cleansing. My friends, this is the exact place you need to be. For we were all once in your place. And the promises that are in Jesus Christ is that, these are just to name three of them. That for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, 1 John 1 says that there is forgiveness and cleansing of all unrighteousness. There's also, Romans 5 says that now you can be at peace with God when you believe in Jesus. 
Galatians 2.20 says that when you have Jesus, you experience the infinite love of God for you. My friends, the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And if you have him, the benefit of the gospel is that you have all the promises of God. And amen. Benefit number two. Look at verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Benefit number two that you cannot live without is that God strengthens his people. That word for uh, establish also means to strengthen, to confirm. It means to make something firm or sure. If you notice how this is written, notice that it does not say this. And it is God who has established us in the future. I mean, not the future. That would be weird, past and future at the same time. It does not say, and it is God who has established us. Or it doesn't even say, and it is God who will establish us. Notice that it says it in the present tense. It is God who establishes us. In other words, it's an ongoing reality of every believer. In other words, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter how bad your life may get, God is always at work. Amen? It's not merely that God used to be at work in your life and now you've sinned and he's like, I'm giving up on you. Or it's not as if you're in sin and you say, well, if I get my act together, then God will be at work. That's not what it says. It means especially for those who are at their worst sin, their worst suffering, but if they have Jesus Christ, God is strengthening and establishing you. Because of Jesus, we have this promise. And I know there are many of us, if not all of us in here, who would die to know that this is true for us in our worst moments. But notice that it said, Paul says this, it is God who establishes, I love this, he says, he establishes us with you, dear Corinthians. Notice that God establishes us with others. Christianity is a personal relationship with God, but it is not a private relationship with God. Christianity is about me knowing Jesus and him knowing me, but it is never kept between just me and Jesus. It is me with the family of Christ. Notice this. What book are we reading? 2 Corinthians. And if you know anything about the, about the Corinthians, well, they were like Adam, and they were really good, weren't they? The model of what a church should be. I love it when sometimes people say, we just need to go back to the first century church. Here's the first century. <laughs> Notice that Paul is not doing this. Paul is not looking at a people who have really hurt him. He is not saying, you stay over there, I'm staying right here. You're the problem. You just need to get like me. Paul's not saying that. He is moving towards them. He is moving towards the very people who have sinned against him. He is saying that I'm not canceling you out. I'm not playing the victim card on me. I'm not setting up these boundaries. Or as one song used to say, I'm, you know, get these squares out of my circle. 
He's not doing that. But rather because of the gospel of grace, he can look at the Corinthians and say, so would I be if it were not for the grace of God. Love what Jesus prays in John 17, 21. It's one of his last prayers. He's praying to the Father. He's saying, here's what my hope is, Father, that they, talking about his people, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us. Now listen, what's the purpose of asking for unity? So that the world may believe that you sent me. My friends, only the gospel of grace does this. No other system, no other theory, no other worldview. The gospel of grace. But notice also that this benefit is found once again in Christ. It says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Christ is the source of this power. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. But it's not just that Christ is the, the source, but he's also the object of the teaching that empowers this. In other words, that when Christ is proclaimed as he is in the word, not as we want him to be, but the Christ who fulfills all the Old Testament, the Christ who has died on the cross for us, as we proclaim this Christ, God's people are strengthened, and they're strengthened together. So therefore, you know what that means. Whenever Christ is not proclaimed, expect division. Now, I think once again, this benefit speaks to a certain group of people. There are believers in here who have, they have lingering hurts. Maybe you've felt massive betrayal in your life. Or maybe this week you've experienced what we call certain triggers that bring reminders of hurts and pains in your life. Maybe you're saying this, how am I going to make it? How am I going to be able to repent of this sin? How am I going to be able to truly forgive that person? How am I going to be able to love my spouse after what they did? How am I going to be able to serve others after their harmful words towards me? How am I going to be able to continue to parent my children when it seems as if nothing is ever going to change? Have you guys been there? Once again, welcome to the club. This is who Christianity is for. We have lingering hurts. But it is especially in those moments when God strengthens his people. Amen. If Christ went through the worst suffering in order to save us, then will he somehow not give us strength when we need it most? And because Christ lives, as we sang earlier, he lives, the great Redeemer lives, and because he lives we will receive his resurrected strength even for the particular moment we need it most. I wonder if the people of Covenant Prez in Nashville earlier this year, if they needed God's strengthening. I wonder if the senior minister whose own daughter was shot, if he needed God's strength. 
that's when God strengthens us most. Actually, when we're most weak. See, well, actually, one of the various, one of the very purposes of our suffering is actually that when we know our weakness, we run to the person who is most strong. My friends, don't you see this benefit in something you can't live without? Now, how is God able to strengthen us? This, this, is, this, this phrase right here, that God establishes us with you in Christ, it's built upon three other benefits. The strengthening is something that happens in the present tense, but then three other benefits here are things that happened in the past. You see that in verse 21, here's the third benefit, that God has anointed us. Notice again that verb there, anointed, is in the past tense. This means that it is a past event that can never be undone. It's a surety that it has happened in your life, not just because you feel it. This third benefit is this. God sets us apart by anointing. What does it mean to be anointed? Here's what's really cool in the Greek. Can I nerd out with you for a second? This is really cool. You know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. I don't, I don't mean that facetiously, but... We often think Christ is Jesus' last name. Christ is the word for the anointed one. So literally in the Greek, this is the way it reads. God has Christed us toward Christ. That's pretty cool. Isn't the Bible awesome? And what, is, what does it mean to be Christed towards Christ? It means to be equipped to carry forth God's mission. It means that we've been set apart to belong to God, that we've been plucked out of Satan's kingdom and into God's kingdom. What happened in the Old Testament was that prophets, priests, and kings were anointed to spread the kingdom, to build God's people in their particular office. It had meant that they were set apart from the world and they were set apart for God. But when we become a believer, whenever that moment happened for you, you were anointed right then and there. You were plucked out of Satan's kingdom and put into God's kingdom, and that act will never be undone. You, you see why this is a benefit, right? Paul is telling them, don't abandon the gospel. Don't abandon my gospel ministry because it's the gospel that anoints you. If you abandon the gospel, you'll never find that anointing. But it's here when you believe in Jesus Christ that you are definitively put into his kingdom. And no matter how much you might mess it up, you can't. Heidelberg Catechism, question one, says this, at least partly it says this. What's one of the comforts that we have in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. My friends, because if you're a believer, you've been anointed, here's what that means. That when you die, you can rest and you can know that right through death, you'll be in your Savior's hands. Amen. You know, I used to have a professor who used to say one of the biggest components of true gospel ministry is preparing people to die well. And I think in our culture, we don't like thinking about death. We like to 
steer away from it as much as possible. We don't like to think about it. But every single person from the youngest to the oldest, you will die or Christ will come back. My responsibility, the elder's responsibility, is to help you die well. And you will die well if you've been anointed. If you've been brought to him. And this anointing is so that we might carry out God's purposes, God's mission. So that we might herald Christ. It's not for us to live a self-centered life pursuing only our own dreams. It's actually pursuing Christ and fighting against our sin, fighting against the evil one, and fighting against false teaching, and spreading his gospel, his good news, his grace. The reason why we can be anointed, the reason why we can be separated unto God, you know what happened on the cross, right? Because on the cross, the anointed one was cut off. Why was the sign in the Old Testament, the sign that led up to baptism, why was the sign circumcision, a cutting? Because it pointed to the cross where Jesus would be cut off from God so that we might be anointed. And my friends, this means this, that when you come to Jesus, no matter what sin and suffering is in your life, Jesus' worth far surpasses anything else in your life. This anointing will never be undone. No one, not even yourself, can threaten that anointing. I think this greatly speaks to believers who have severely erred in sin. There are those of us who have we've been caught in our sin, we've been exposed. Or maybe we have sinful habits that have just exploded into their consequences. Or maybe we thought that we never sinned that sin, but now we have. Or maybe we thought that we would, we would not get caught, but someone finally discovered it. Or maybe you're still hiding in your sin. This is one of those big life moments that can either make or break you. And there are also some of us in here who are confessing that very sin and we're striving to repent, but maybe you're in despair over what you've done. There are two different remedies for this. The first is some of us in this category, we need to be warned. You need to repent. You must repent. You need to be warned that God's judgment is coming and it will expose everything, even the secret thoughts of the heart. My friends, God will not be mocked. We need to bring our sin into his light to find mercy. We need to remember it is always better to come to God confessing our sin than waiting to be caught. In Numbers, there's a historical incident where this verse is said, be sure that your sin will find you out. And some of us knows what that feels like. And my friends, what you need to hear, if, if you need this warning, you need to hear Christ has anointed you if you're a believer. He's anointed you unto himself. Don't live like you're not anointed. Don't live like you're in your past life. 
Paul tells the Corinthians, such were some of you. Live how you are now. Your unconfessed sin is only going to hurt you. Now, we're here for you when your life just blows up. Many of you know what that feels like. And many of you who knows what that feels like would speak to others and say, don't let it get to that moment. Come to Christ now. But there are also those of you who have seen it blown up, and you need to hear assurance. And you need to know this. This is beautiful. My friends, maybe you have severely erred in your sin, but you have been anointed. Amen? You can't mess that up. You're not good enough to mess that up. I hate to break it to you. And if God has anointed you, then nothing is going to mock him. He knows how to reverse the curse in your life. He knows how to work redemption in your life. He knows how to make you godly and holy. He knows how to use that very wickedness to actually somehow in a crazy way to show people who Christ is. He's anointed you. My friends, this anointing, no matter what our sin and suffering, no matter what it might be, If you have been anointed, oh, my friends, you always have God with you. Amen? Those are only three benefits. There's still two more. Benefit number four, look at verse 22. God who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This fourth benefit is also a past tense verb. That in the past, at our moment of conversion, God put his seal on us. The seal, uh, not to sound trivial, but literally it is not just for young people. It's not like an animal. A seal is like an old letter where what would happen is if you had a letter and you folded it up, and if you wanted to secure the contents in the envelope, you would drip hot wax on there, and you would take a seal and you would press it onto the seal, and it would show that, you know, it's from Justin Hazard. It would be probably a really cool, like, JH seal, whatever it might be. It, it, it would show that this is from Justin delivered, you know, to Sean or Richard or whoever. It, it, it would authenticate that it's really from him. A seal means that when we become a believer, God is authorizing, saying, this is my work. That's what baptism represents. This is my work. But it also does this. A seal secures the contents of the letter. A seal guarantees that that letter with its contents inside, will make it to its recipient. Isn't that awesome? When you became a believer, God sealed you, authorizing that it is from him and it is his work, but he secures you. That's the fourth benefit. He seals us by the Spirit. This is symbolized in our baptism. My friends, I think we need to ask the question, how worthy is the sacrifice of Christ that he only had to seal us once? That's pretty amazing. 
I think there's a lot of joy in opening up a letter, especially from its, when it's from a beloved sender. And it certainly has to give us the idea of what the joy it, would, it is going to be in, in Christ's eyes on that last day. Whenever he sees that all of his people throughout all the ages, they have been sealed and they are there and they've been delivered from all their sins. Amen? They're there. I think I've, I've told you all this many times, but you know one of the privileges, privileges is of officiating a wedding? The bride walks down the aisle, and yes, it's all about the bride. It really is. It's great. It's beautiful. But there's also something also beautiful that happens. You'll see people who are, particularly the mom of the groom, you'll see, you'll see people, they'll look into the bride, and they'll glance back and look at the groom because they want to see the delight on his face. And my friends, if you're a believer, you have been sealed by the Spirit. And that means that on that last day, no one will have greater delight on their face than Jesus when he sees you. Amen? I think some of us need to hear this also, particularly believers who feel a lot of instability and insecurity in their life. Maybe even just uh, natural physical circumstances of maybe there's several of us in here who are moving homes college students and non-college students you're moving from home to home and you can often feel very displaced maybe you've just started a new, a new job maybe you're about to leave a job or maybe you're searching for a job school's about to start up or maybe things more serious such as marriage problems or parenting issues or maybe you're actually at your job and you feel like it's about to end. Maybe you're someone who, every morning when you pick up your phone and maybe you go to Twitter or Instagram or just the news and you just see how chaotic things are. Maybe this week you've gotten news from the doctor and there are health issues there that make you feel very insecure. Maybe you've had friends leave Stillwater, people who you've really gotten to know. And it hurts to see them leave. Or maybe even this. Maybe you're just seeing a lot of changes in our church. Believers who feel the instability and insecurity in their lives, you need to be reminded of this, especially in this season. God's got you. He's not going to let you go. There is nothing insecure in the kingdom of God. You might feel insecure, but the reality is that his word declares that you are sealed. God's not going to stop doing his work. He's not going to give up on you. He knows what he's doing. He will never let you be separated from his love. I love what Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed. My friends, it would be easier for, it'd be easier for any of us or even all of us to go up to Mount Everest and physically try to wrap our arms around it and pluck it up and throw it into the Mediterranean Sea. It would be easier to do that than for God to lose you. No one is stronger than him. God's got you. And here's the fifth benefit. God gives us his spirit. You see that at the end of verse 22. Notice again, another past tense verb. 
that when you become a believer, at that very moment, and really innate to enable you to be a believer, he gives you his spirit. But he gives you his spirit, notice how he describes him, in our hearts as a guarantee. My friends, once you become a believer, you cannot become an unbeliever. Once you get the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God never leaves you. When God puts down the deposit in your hearts, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, He is making the reservation in your home, in your body, saying, you are mine and nothing will ever separate you from me. And that happened the moment you became a believer. I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You remember Paul's in jail when he wrote that? I don't know about you, but that would be very hard for me to say when I'm in jail. Paul is saying, this is who our God is. If he, get, if he gave you the Spirit, he will complete his work. And I think this speaks to believers who are struggling with apathy right now. Some of us are living as if we can say, Jesus, yes, but also this. We're indulging in our idols, but yet we'll just have a reset every Sunday, but Christ will never get into Monday through Saturday. Maybe we've been indulging in sin, and sin has dulled the affections of our hearts for God. Or maybe we're apathetic because we simply lack knowledge of what the gospel is really proclaiming. Maybe we've had bad examples of Christians in our lives, other Christians who have been lazy or maybe a nominal home. Or maybe we're just very worldly. But it can even be this. Don't underestimate the fact that we can be addicted to technology and that's buying up all of our time where we never pursue the Lord. And some of us who are apathetic, we need conviction. You need, you need to think, is Christ not amazing? Is he not infinite? Is he not wholly worthy to be followed? Is there anything possibly in our life that can compare to him? Does, does he deserve our least efforts? Will we be proud the way we lived when we see him in heaven? But then some of us need motivation. We do, we are convicted, but we need motivation. And my friends, that means you need to see his glory. Nothing gets you up like seeing his glory. It is difficult. And it's hard to get out of bed often. And you're thinking, I don't even know how I can make it through this day. Look upon his glory by faith. Don't you see his grace? Don't you see that his Holy Spirit will supply what you need? And he will send you wherever you need to go, equipping you with what you need to be equipped with so that you might accomplish his mission. Amen? It leaves us with this. How, how, how do we get these benefits? Look at verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, do you know when, you want to know it's really cool? This literally is actually probably better translated this way, if I can be so audacious. But for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed in you, 
In other words, how do you get Jesus? He is proclaimed into you. Through the act of proclamation of the word, he gets in you. How did you get all these benefits, dear Corinthians? How did you get all these benefits, dear Grace? Just by hearing the word proclaimed. Amen? Pierre Marcel said, Christ can no more live in us without the Holy Scriptures and preaching than can the body live without nourishment. My friends, do you want to grow in your knowledge of these benefits? To experience these benefits, you do what you're doing. Because Christ proclaims himself into you. It's not about the preacher, it's about the preaching. The true preacher is Christ Because as his word is proclaimed to us, Christ is here proclaiming his word to you. Let me end with this. Ignatius, the second century church father, said this. Let fire in the cross. Let the companions of wild beasts, let the breaking of bones and tearing of members, let the shattering in pieces of the whole body And all the wicked torments of the devil come upon me. Only let me enjoy Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is not a super Christian. That is a man like you and me. But that is a man who saw someone. Whose benefits surpass everything else. The one who you need to say yes to this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you weak, looking for strength. We come to you with sin, looking for forgiveness. We come to you with despair, looking for hope. We come to you with nothing in ourselves, knowing that everything is in Christ. And he's who we desire. Preach him into us. Proclaim him in our hearts that you might bring conversions this very moment. Help us to respond in singing. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.